Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. You're listening to Freedom Forum Radio. We pick up right now where we left off last week with Dr. Adi Christ. Well, Dr. Christ, you know that, that really tyrants need a scapegoat. It is one of the most effective tools that a tyrant has to control a large population. If he can focus a, a, a people's hatred on one group, he has an easier time of controlling the entire country. And that's what we see time and time again in history. In, right. And in this case, in, in Germany, the, and obviously in, in much of Europe and Russia, and Eastern, Eastern Europe and Russia for for thousands, for hundreds and thousands of years, the Jews were that convenient scapegoat that were right. used not just by Germany, but by any nation in which they were in. Right. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, I mean, and it was, uh, you know, again, when you talk about those nations, it sounds like it's huge, like America. You know, the only part that is huge is was the former Soviet Union, which it, you know, even at present time is like twelve time zones. But Europe actually is really, really small, so it doesn't have to go very far to be in another country. And, uh, you know, Hitler was a misfit, you know, anyway, and he wasn't, to begin with, liked by anybody. He refused to work. He just thought that that was beneath him, so he lived off his mother. And uh, when uh, she eventually died, he moved to Vienna. And I had always had you know, just these visions of Vienna and Strauss music, you know, things like that. But Vienna really was a hotbed for anti-Semitism. So when he got there, he was able to develop his ideas that he had written in Mein Kampf when he was in prison and uh, was able to uh, have larger audiences and just keep on growing. And he just had a... a even though he was, he didn't fit really in anywhere. Even in the army, he has a gift of persuading people to do certain things. He was, um, now he was an Austrian, but he was able to talk his way into having a position in in the Bavarian army, and and uh, he even was wounded, you know. But he never, he he followed instructions, but he never got above sergeant because the army thought that he was just not you know a leader and he wasn't stable enough and so on and that led partly to also to his um, uh, crazy ideas and his disdain you know for rules and regulations except the ones that he set up you know but he did the same thing later on with the the churches this ability to uh 
it made them think that he was on, you know, that he was on their side. He even fooled Chamberlain. Chamberlain, you know, really, after he had met um, with um, Hitler in, in Bavaria and so on, just wrote him, you know, a glowing thank you note that how by just, you know, one stroke he had become the leader, you know, of Europe, and he had so much to offer, and people should listen to him, and so it was, you know, he just had this gap, to uh, this ability to do that, and uh, like uh, he used that later on, you know, with the churches, and, and the terminology that is used in some of the documents that they drew up sounds like it is today. It is history repeating itself because people really don't like to study uh, history. They think that it is, you know, too boring and so. But if you don't know what what went on, you won't realize this this double talk, and it's it's just a you know a trap. And one of these days, when I have time, I'm going to do a dictionary. You know, these are the words. This is what we uh, think they mean, and this is how they the other side uses it, but they mean something completely different. Well, you know, the, the Soviets were masters at this during the Cold War. Well, but, of, co- of course, and if you read uh, George Orwell's 1984, uh, that's what that book is. One of the key elements of that book is the concept of doublespeak, in right. which words... Words that we understand to mean one thing were actually used to mean another thing, and that was a way of disguising the true meaning of of what uh, what the government or the the tyranny was saying. You know, one of the concepts that we are very aware of in our country when we study the Weimar Republic is the uh, horrendous inflation that occurred. That puts such a an economic economic uh, cause an economic problem for the the citizens. Uh, were you there in that at that time area? No, I was born twenty four days after Hitler invaded Poland. I see. And that was in nineteen thirty nine. So your parents and grandparents obviously lived through the Weimar yes. Republic. My grandfather fought in the First World War and is buried in France when the Ottoman Empire, you know, was defeated during that time, too, and they lived through it. My grandmother worked for herself after he was killed. My mother was just six months old, and so uh, she, my grandmother was a seamstress. We lived in a small town, or they lived in a small town. So they experienced that, and I can't, of course, since we're on radio, I can't show it to you, but I have some pages here with the numbers of of the inflation, and it just makes your head spin, you know, and people would go to the store, uh, the the currency would change on an hourly basis. They would uh, take a a wheelbarrow and put the money that they had in in the wheelbarrow, and go to the store because they didn't know how many millions of dollars they would, uh, marks they would need to buy a loaf of bread. Right. And I don't know uh, if it's true or not, but somebody, you know, uh, shared that uh, somebody went into the store to get the bread, and they had left their uh, wheelbarrow with the money outside to see how much that it was going to cost. They didn't want to just carry it in. When they got out, the people had their their wheelbarrow was gone, but the money was still there. Yes. The wheelbarrow was worth more money than all of the millions of marks that were in the wheelbarrow. What we one of the facts that we have uh, have heard is that 
people were paid had to be paid first thing in the morning and then they were given a break at lunch to go out and spend all the money that they had gotten because by the time the workday was over, the money would be useless. Right. There are so many um, zeros behind the one, you know, that it just would make your head spin as to, you know, um, as to what you would have to pay or what it was worth, which was really nothing, but, you, you know, uh, one nothing was worse than another nothing because, you, you know, you, didn't, you might not have enough to put... So it's just, it just really, really was bad. And that's, you know, another uh, uh, opportunity for Hitler to come in because, you know, he came in by, in a, uh, I guess you call it, well, it was part of the Weimar Republic of, of how a government would be set up as a republic and so on and who could be part of the government. And so when he came in, he got, I think, 13 million votes and that that wasn't enough to get him in. But Hindenburg, the government after World War One, uh, was just not able to do come to any conclusions or set up any laws and so on, just like what we have in Washington now. So uh, they needed uh, that this. Uh, they didn't have a majority, so they needed a majority, and so they remembered this in small party, and they decided, well, if we can get their votes to come in and help us, you know, then we can make a difference and do some laws. So they offered this, you know, the leader of that group um, a proposal. You come, you know, with us and give us your votes, and this is the position we'll give you in government. And uh, that other person was sly enough to, to turn that down and came up with his own proposal. If you want our votes, then this is what I want. And that was... Hitler, and that's how he, you know, Hindenburg asked him to come in to become, you know, to fill that position. And later on, he was elected, not just in Germany, but also, you know, in Austria and so on, because uh, they were doing this double talk. You know, they were promising all of these things, and it's just like what you hear now. The words are just in German rather than English, but it's the very same thing. You know, promising school, promising work, promising, you know, a place to live and free um, medical care and, and all of these different things. It, they just didn't give the next part to it of what it would cost them to, you know, to do all of this. And uh, what you hear about Obamacare, that is what, you know, came with the free medical care in, uh, with Hitler, you know, and, and they would, um, but they would say that it was free for everybody. The doctors were salaried by the government, and the problem says, uh, you know, was that because the quote was free, you know, that everybody went there. And but you, you know, they would only get elective surgery. When my mother was in her 70s, um, she was told she had had an artificial aorta put in about 17 years earlier or so. So when she got to be in her mid 70s, they said, "Well, we will not get any tax return from you. You are too old, so we will not allow you to have this surgery." And that's what you hear, you know, from people who are now subject to Obamacare. They decide who lives and who doesn't. And, um, you know, the people that that you hear now, that the people that have disabilities, well, they really, their life isn't worth anything. They will never contribute to anything. So they just disappear into, into institutions, and then you never hear of them again. 
you know, that happened to some people that I have read about. were six or eight, but she was a teacher, and she taught in a place where they had um, mentally handicapped students. They still could do stuff. They were working to the best of what they can do, you know, helping uh, do chores and so on. But one day a bus pulled up, and these children or young people were loaded up into that. And when the teachers asked where they were going, well, they found out they were going to, an, uh, they didn't call it an institution, but to a place where their abilities could be furthered even more. The parents were given uh, uh, some dumb excuse, but they were also asked not to contact their children for six months, and then by uh, they would get periodic fictitious updates, and after six months, nobody could find those young people anymore. Well, they had, you know, been given medication, and they, they were no longer alive. And you hear that as an underflow with what's happening uh, with this government-controlled Obamacare here now. They decide who lives and who doesn't. We have to take a quick commercial break here on Freedom Forum Radio. More with Dr. Adi Christ right after this. Well, that really is the history of socialized medicine. I mean, we, when we... When we now want to look at that kind of a, an issue, we look to Great Britain, uh, where uh, people there, after a certain age, do not get the care uh, because they're put on what's called the Liverpool Death Pathway, and people can stay on that for 12 months, 18 months, until they pass away. If, they, if you're over 70 and you're deemed not to be a productive member of society, then you have not enough value to spend resources on. And so right. you're given palliation uh, so that you're not in pain, but, you're not, but your problem, which is fixable, which is medically fixable, your problem is not addressed medically. You're just kept comfortable until, uh, until it is your time uh, to go. So right. that's, that's really the essence of, of socialized anything. Right, and uh, what's so interesting in, in light of our discussion here, if I remember correctly, it was like two or two and a half months ago, and I can't remember his right, name right now, but he is some scientist or something of, of note, and he said people shouldn't live any longer you know, than 70. They have reached their maximum then, and they just should voluntarily you know, uh, take their lives. And what was so uh, interesting, strange, weird about that, if I remember correctly, he was a Jew. Yes. Uh, you know, there are two, uh, two physicians who uh, were very, very much involved in Obamacare, Dr. Peter Singer uh, and Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. Uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel is Rahm Emanuel's brother. Right. And he wrote a book called The Complete Lives System. And in that book, he outlines the fact that people have a usefulness to the government roughly between the age of 15 and, say, 55 or 60. And in that time period of life, that's when you get the maximum number of services. Before the age of 18, you haven't been educated enough Certainly below the age of five, you have no real value to society. And then after the age of 55 or 60, you have no value. And so his whole concept of the complete life system was to allocate uh, services 
allocate medical goods and services only to those people, the group of people in that middle age from, say, 18 to 45. They get the maximum number of services and all the care they need. Everyone else gets nothing. Dr. Peter Singer uh, wrote a book called Should the Baby Live? And in that book, he advocated post-birth abortion, which, in other words, the infanticide, up to age five weeks. So that he, his belief in that book was that a parents could decide within the first five weeks of life whether the child was worth keeping or not, and if it was not, the child's life would be terminated. Uh, to me, that is that is worse than reprehensible, worse than disgusting. As a physician who has spent his life taking care of all people, because right. every every breathing every breathing person is a child of God, and uh, the, you need to treat each life as sacred as God intended it to be. Now, these two people uh, really influenced Obamacare because they are the ones whose whose programs were pretty much uh, followed in, in writing the law. And so you're well, right. And they find their, you know, if you go back, they find their root also in books like Mein Kampf and so on. It's, you know, and there are other books, uh, too numerous to mention, that espouse that kind of, you know, thinking. And But if you go back, that is satanic thinking. That is, you know, they have, um, it's the same thing as the people in Peru, you know, uh, throwing their little babies into the volcanoes, or the Jews, you know, doing the same thing, sort of, with, with uh, you know, to Molech. And, and so that idea has been part of Satan's way of controlling um, the people. The people, we are in his way. And so whatever, you know, we can do, uh, especially, you know, believing people, whatever he can do to get rid of us, that, that's what he wants to do. And um, so it just passes on, and it seems like it, you know, humans just, uh, every uh, generation or so, think they have a new idea, and it's still an old idea that he just um, keeps turning over, you know. So we need to know that um, the only thing that we can count on is God. That concludes this episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Tune in next week for more with Dr. Adi Christ. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Call me the mischief. Chicago.
get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 